is Cultured Hollywood for Smart People for Tuesday, September 1st, 2020. I am Nico and I am your host. And we're talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them. It's what we always do. It's what we will continue to do here on the first day of September. We're almost there, kiddos. It's almost over. This godforsaken year almost in the rearview mirror. We hope and we pray. Man, time sure doesn't fly when you're in the middle of a global pandemic, huh? We're almost we're almost through it, guys. We're almost there. Hang with me. I will continue to hang with you. Uh, thanks for being here, though. Uh, it really means a lot to me. Um, this is my podcast where I talk about the world of popular culture. And that's not always a great topic. It's not always a great field to cover, especially these days when, uh, you know, bad things happen on, <laughs> on the reg. That's what happened over the weekend. Chadwick Boseman dead at the age of 43, star of Black Panther, star of 42, star of Get On Up, um, loses his battle to colon cancer at the age of 43. Tragic, devastating. The nation is in mourning. All of this is true. But what do we say today? What do we talk about? How do we properly eulogize the life, the legacy, the career of Chadwick Boseman? I don't know. I guess I can point you to some of his cinematic performances. I can point you to The Five Bloods. I can point you to Black Panther. I can point you to Get On Up or Draft Day. And I can talk about what a lively performer the guy was. And I mentioned this on Twitter this past week. On Saturday night, there aren't many movie stars left. Movie stars are not really a thing anymore. They were once the only thing that existed in popular culture. There was once only James Stewart. There was once only Humphrey Bogart. There was once only Denzel Washington and Tom Hanks. Now, I don't know. Acting has become a more complicated endeavor. Movies have become a more complicated endeavor. The idea of the movie star is changing. The idea of the traditional leading man is changing. And perhaps those changes are long overdue. But the idea of the movie star is not really a thing. The guy that on his back can carry just about any movie he stars in. Film is much more a director's medium. It's much more writer's medium. It's much more producer's medium. The idea of the traditional movie star is kind of dead. Chadwick Boseman was a traditional movie star. More so than even his Avengers counterparts. More so than Chris Pratt. More so than Chris Hemsworth. (laughs) More so than Chris Evans. More so than any other white dude named Chris. Chadwick Boseman was a traditional leading man. The first time I saw Chadwick Boseman on the big screen, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, was in 2014. Two friends and I went to the movie theater. We saw the James Brown biopic, Get On Up. We had no idea who the hell Chadwick Boseman was. I think we just saw this movie on a whim. I remember it being an empty movie theater until one old man walked in just as the opening credits started rolling. And uh, strangely enough, it's one of the most memorable movie going experiences of my life. And I like the movie. I like the movie just fine. And I've often proselytized for the movie. I've argued on the movie's behalf. It's incredibly underrated, especially as far as musical biopics go. 
Uh, it's better than just about any musical biopic that's come out in the past 10 years. Um, and it's only because of Chadwick Boseman. I remember exactly who those two friends were. I remember being a Monday night. I remember going to friendlies afterwards and getting ice cream with these two friends. And I remember quoting the movie in that Chadwick Boseman, James Brown voice. And it's something I swear to God that me and my friend Nick still quote to this day. Every once in a while, we'll see each other. And in that Chadwick Boseman, James Brown voice, we'll go, James Brown, I'm the business and the show. I don't know why. I don't know why that piece of throwaway dialogue in a pretty standard biopic stuck with us so much. But it did. It did. And I'm sure no one else even thought twice about that line. But Nick and I just consistently quote that to each other. Um, I, I think it might have something to do with Chadwick. That is the type of performance where a dude just puts an entire movie on his back and carries it to the finish line. It is truly a remarkable leading performance. And that movie, again, is fine. I enjoy it. There's a decent supporting cast. Viola Davis is in that movie. Dan Aykroyd's in that movie. Um, I'm not sure what the director, Tate Taylor, has done since. Um, oh, I know what he did since. He did the movie. <laughs> he did the movie Ma, which is, uh, well, that's a podcast for another day. Stars Octavia Spencer. But like, it's a fine movie with a decent supporting cast and a decent Hollywood script. But um, Chadwick Boseman somehow transcends the personality of James Brown, the like massive shadow of James Brown. That is not the type of performance that someone is supposed to excel at. You know what I mean? Like one does not simply play James Brown in a movie. One does not simply do an impression of the greatest live performer, the most enigmatic live performer that has ever walked the face of the earth. You don't just play that dude in a movie. And if you attempt to play that dude in the movie, you're supposed to look like a cartoon character. You're supposed to look like a cheap imitation. We're supposed to be having a laugh at your expense. But Chadwick just arrived on set and said, hey, I'm a movie star. Look at me. I have just as much personality. I have just as much charisma. I have just as much show-stopping ability as James Brown ever did. An impossible task that only a natural-born movie star can pull off. Chadwick Boseman was that natural-born movie star, and I can't name another actor in 2020 that could have pulled it off like him. I felt the same way about the Five Bloods, the Spike Lee film earlier this year. He plays a character named Storm and Norman in that movie. If you haven't seen it, Delroy Lindo and a bunch of other uh, older actors return to Vietnam years after serving in the Vietnam War. And Storm and Norman is this sort of angelic mentor figure that's speaking from beyond the grave um, that appears in flashback and um, sort of represents something larger than just his character. He's kind of like the Obi-Wan Kenobi of Defy Bloods. You know, he's uh, he's idealized. He is uh, magnetic, just like Alec Guinness in Star Wars. Like, you need a movie star for that role. You need someone that just steals the screen for the 10 minutes that they're on it. 
um, you need a guy with credibility, with authenticity that um, you would follow into battle that can represent valor, that can represent chivalry. Uh, and he was that guy. Like you just see him and you're like, oh, thank God Spike got Chadwick Boseman for this role because in the hands of someone less charismatic um, and, and less larger than life, the movie doesn't work. It worked because of Chadwick and it worked because of a, an excellent supporting cast and an excellent lead performance. Um, but the dude just had it. Whether he was playing Thurgood Marshall, whether he was uh, playing James Brown, whether he was playing Jackie Robinson, all larger than life historic figures. The guy had it. He was a movie star. And, you know, you can say whatever you want about Black Panther. I have, uh, you know, talked about that movie somewhat glowingly in the past, but I'm kind of allergic to the Marvel formula at this point. And, you know, I caught a little bit of it uh, on ABC when they were airing the commercial free uh, broadcast on Sunday night. And, uh, you know, I, I think that movie's OK. And I, I think it's uh, just a showcase for Michael B. Jordan. And I don't think it's it's much more than that on a cinematic level. But on a cultural level, on a um, on a representational level, yeah, I mean, incredibly important, incredibly significant. And we'll be talking about that movie for a long time. You know, Black Panther was not the first black superhero portrayed on the big screen. That's Wesley Snipes in Blade. But nonetheless, man, an incredibly mainstream superhero film starring a mostly black cast yeah, there is something to be said for that. And there is something to be said for Chadwick Boseman's um, part in that entire operation. And he's got one more movie coming out later this year. I'm sure it will be in the Oscar conversation. It's called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom based on an August Wilson play. We'll see what uh, shape that performance takes. We'll see how critics respond to it and how Academy voters respond to it. Um and, uh, you know, that's Chadwick Boseman. That's Chadwick Boseman. But here's why I'm having a problem, right? This is, this, is, uh, this is a problem that I always have when, you know, guys like Kobe Bryant die at the age of 42 and Chadwick Boseman dies at the age of 43. Uh, like, when a guy dies before his time... And when he loses a battle to a vicious disease like cancer, what am I supposed to say about his legacy? And like, I, I don't blame the like um, the, the media machine, the mainstream media machine that churns out obituaries and that is constantly eulogizing and making the micro macro. Like, I get it. Like, that is the business that I am in as well. And I often on this podcast try to make mountains out of molehills. And I try to take the small and make it large. Or at least I try to contextualize the small in the large. And when a person dies, like, yeah, what it's it's not only tragic that Chadwick Boseman died, but now we have to talk about his meaning, his impact, his legacy. And the truth is we just don't know what his legacy is yet. And we're never going to know his legacy because the guy was 43. And the guy had been a veteran TV actor for a decade before he finally got his big break. And he was in episodes of Law and & Order. And he was in episodes of ER. And he was in episodes of CSI. And he was in episodes of All My Children. 
And he was in episodes of Justified and Fringe. And he was just a guy. He was a guy who made it. And he had less than a decade of relevance before he was taken too soon. And like, I understand the need to find a silver lining. I understand the need to look on the bright side of tragedy. Oftentimes when someone passes away, it brings a lot of solace to focus on their legacy, to focus on their impact, to focus on what they did when they were here. But man, this dude had 40 years of quality performances ahead of him. This dude was supposed to have decades of ups and downs and bombs and successes and Oscar nominations and Oscar wins. And he was supposed to create a persona and subvert that persona and play the good guy and play the bad guy and age into a supporting role. And like this dude was supposed to have the arc of a movie star. And instead the dude had the arc of James Dean, which is gone too soon. Gone too soon. And I don't know when stuff like that happens and I am forced to reflect and I'm forced to say good things about get on up and defy bloods and black Panther. Like it's a short list. It's a short list. And I can't help but think the legacy of Chadwick Boseman is not James Brown is not black Panther. It's not storm and Norman. It's not Jackie Robinson. It's not Thurgood Marshall. It's, lost potential and that's devastating and I don't know what to say about that I don't know what we're supposed to take away from this other than man cancer is a terrible disease and it's unforgiving and it takes away the best of us and from all accounts Chadwick Boseman was one of the best of us Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, wow, rest in peace, Chadwick, man. It's just been a brutal year. I, I'm not the first person to say it, and I will definitely not be the last to say it, but it is uh, just a hell of a year, and it just keeps on coming, and uh, yeah, you're not supposed to have these conversations about people at the age of 43, you know? Like when Regis died, like that dude lived to 90. Hell yeah, bro. Let's talk Regis. Let's talk about what Regis did for the popular culture. Uh, I, I don't know what to talk about with Chadwick Boseman other than what he was supposed to do for the popular culture and what he never had a chance to. Um, and that's just tragedy. And there's nothing more to say in, in times of tragedy than, God damn, is that a tragedy? What a boss, though, right? What a fucking boss. He pulled the David Bowie. He just didn't tell anybody. He just kept a tight lip. No one knew he was sick. Nobody knew he was fighting cancer. Nobody knew he was undergoing chemo. As he was out there on the press tour, as he was starring in mainstream Hollywood vehicles, guy was making a movie with Spike Lee as he was undergoing chemo? As he was dying, my God, man, the bravery of that, the bravery, because here's the thing. I put myself in that position and I know how I would react. 
I know how I would react. I would throw a pity party and I would, you know, be constantly waited on by all my closest friends and family. You know what I mean? And I and I would just make sure that everyone knew, look at Nico, he's dying of colon cancer. And that dude didn't want the spotlight, that dude didn't want your sympathy, that dude didn't want your attention. Um, that dude just wanted to fight and he just wanted to beat it and he just wanted to continue making good art. Um, and, uh, geez, I don't know if I would have the strength to do a podcast as I was undergoing chemotherapy, the way that Chadwick Boseman had the strength to continue to make great films. Uh, what more is there to say? There's nothing, man. There's nothing other than rest in peace. And this is cultured. We'll be right back. All right, uh, so 2020, huh? (laughs) Rough year. Not a great time. It's been a pretty devastating year, as a matter of fact, for a number of reasons. Um, but, But I think I am surprised by what an impact it's had on this industry, the the business of show, Hollywood, television, film, popular culture. I guess we're all surprised in every industry and no one could have seen the impact of the coronavirus coming. Um, But here we are nonetheless. And who knows if this is the new normal? Who knows if the American economy will ever return to the way it was? Um, But we have spent most of the year since March talking about this idea of out with the old and in with the new. This podcast has been dominated by coronavirus talk. And over the past few weeks, we've been talking about this in the context of movie theaters. Right, This idea that these old institutions are finally being taken behind the barn and shot in the head. It's been on life support for a number of years. Its condition has been slowly deteriorating over a long period of time. But here in 2020, we're finally pulling the plug. Coronavirus, final nail in the coffin, straw to break the camel's back, whatever the hell metaphor you want to use. This week, I want to talk about this idea in relation to television. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about television because there's not much great television happening. There's a lot of television, um, not a lot of like water cooler television. And, you know, this is a trend that we've also been following the last few years. Um, Game of Thrones was sort of the last great water cooler television show. And now it just feels like everyone has a million streaming services and everyone has found the perfect show for their tastes. And, uh, you know, the idea of linear television, broadcast television, seems like a distant memory. Let's talk about the stats here. Back in March, this was reported on, I think we talked about this on the podcast, um, cord cutting became uh, a, a very real problem for broadcast television. Again, it's always been a lingering problem. It's always uh, been a slow trend. Um In the first quarter, 2020, though, there was a 70% increase in cord cutting from the year prior. 1.6 million television subscribers canceled their cable and satellite subscriptions in favor of, I assume, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, other streaming services. Now we have HBO Max. Now we have Peacock. The streaming wars are here, yada, yada, yada. But it didn't quite hit me. This change didn't quite hit me until I read about the broadcast television lineups, which were uh, announced this week on behalf of the four major television networks, CBS, ABC, NBC, and Fox. They each released their fall 
television lineups. This was uh, a big thing less than 10 years ago. I, I remember following this as a teenager in middle school and high school. I, I followed vigorously like television ratings, Nielsen ratings, um, which shows were picked up during uh, the spring renewal season, which were given the axe. All this speculation, will a show be revived by another network? And what were the big tentpole shows that were going to launch other new shows in the fall? Um, Now that whole practice is no longer a thing. Television upfronts are basically dead. Um, The whole practice of of scheduling a three-hour lineup seven days a week just seems barbaric. Um. And the idea, frankly, of waiting week after week for a new episode of your favorite television show is uh, it, it's old fashioned. Let's put it that way. Let, let's go through here. Um, the the fall lineups here on NBC. Here we go. These are uh, the September premieres. Uh, Transplant coming Tuesday, November 1st. Don't know what that is. American Ninja Warrior, September 7th. Sunday Night Football, Thursday and Sunday, the 10th and 13th of September. The Weakest Link, hosted by Jane Lynch, a revival of that classic game show. (laughs) The Weakest Link coming September 28th, Dateline NBC coming September 29th. We do have some scripted premieres this October. A show called Connecting is coming, evidently, October 1st. Ellen's Game of Games. Ugh, don't know about that one. Tuesday, October 6th. The Voice comes back October 19th. Superstore comes back October 22nd. And then in November, you just have a slew of returning dramas. This is us, Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, Chicago Veterinarian, Chicago Librarian, uh, Chicago Taxidermist. <laughs> all the Chicago shows. Uh, Law & Order SVU and The Blacklist all return uh, second week of November, apparently. Over on ABC, things look even more bleak. Normally by now, shows like Grey's Anatomy, Station 19, A Million Little Things, The Rookie, other semi-hit dramas are premiering. Beginning of September traditionally is the time to do it. None of those shows are in production, so ABC has resorted to an entirely unscripted lineup. Here's what we have. Dancing with the Stars on Mondays. On Tuesdays, you have Celebrity Family Feud, Press Your Luck, and The Match Game, all shows that have been around since at least the 60s or 70s. On Tuesdays, you got The Bachelorette. Uh, On Fridays, you got Shark Tank. On Saturdays, you got America's Funniest Home Videos, Supermarket Sweep, which is coming back. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and Card Sharks? Uh, And, uh, you know, Mums the Word on other uh, uh, another unscripted series. many of which have been announced but have have not uh have not locked in with premiere dates you go to fox again master chef jr the masked singer i can see your voice which is evidently the same show as the masked singer uh wwe on friday nights uh lots of football in the lineup and then over at cbs i thought this was the most telling Big Brother is going to continue on until, I think, mid-October, as is Love Island. 48 Hours is going to be now a Wednesday night program, the old uh, investigation show that apparently is still on air. Um, (laughs) Then you got 60 Minutes on Sundays. You got football to kill some time. Um, 
you got Manhunt, Deadly Games. Don't know what that is. Um, and then you got the greatest hashtag at home videos uh, on Friday nights. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. It's all unscripted entertainment because you can't film scripted entertainment safely in Los Angeles these days. So the question now becomes, what do you do about scripted programming? And look, someone must be watching NCIS. Someone must be watching Young Sheldon. I'm not, but I hear people do that from time to time. And I don't know if the blacklist is ever going to resume production. I don't know if Grey's Anatomy is ever going to resume production. And I don't know if anybody's going to care if Grey's Anatomy or the blacklist ever resume production besides my mother. <laughs> but the networks do have a plan for this. And their plan is, is going to be put into place starting next week. And it involves something called, quote, gently used programming. This is a real thing that's happening in the television industry right now. Broadcast networks are buying up shows that have already aired on other networks and on other platforms, and they are packaging it as new. This is how you would describe a car that's been driven for 50,000 miles. It's how you would describe an iPhone that you're buying from Apple at a discounted rate. Networks are using this term to describe programming like One Day at a Time, formerly a Netflix show, currently a pop TV show. Now it's going to be airing on linear CBS starting in October. Star Trek Discovery, which aired on CBS All Access, the Star Trek spinoff is coming to broadcast September 24th on CBS. The CW bought up Swamp Thing, a failed DC Universe show on the DC streaming platform. It's now going to air on CW linearly, as well as LA's Finest, a show uh, that aired checks notes. Uh, oh, yeah. The Spectrum Channel. LA's Finest coming to Fox this fall. It's not old. It's gently used. <laughs> Here's the thing about these shows, man. And I'm thinking about this in terms of one day at a time. Like, one day at a time got canceled by Netflix. You know how hard it is to get canceled by Netflix? That company will give any show a third season. Like, Bloodline was on that uh, on that service for three seasons. You know what I mean? That show lost steam after six episodes, three full seasons of bloodline. It's very hard to get canceled by Netflix. Now it's on pop TV. No one knows how to access pop TV. That's formerly the TV guide network. I'm sure no one even knows that TV guide was a thing that has access to pop TV did not get good enough ratings on pop. It's now being recycled for CBS. These are shows that are not only gently used, they are gently used because they were unpopular elsewhere. And now they are being marketed as new to broadcast. That's why oh, they used to always like um, when CBS would like debut a movie, like a Saturday night movie. They always used to say it's new to network 
it's new to television. So Ocean's Eleven would debut for the first time on broadcast television, uh, like Saturday night at eight o'clock. And you would watch Ocean's Eleven, even though you had already rented it from Blockbuster five times over. But it was new to television. And that was always a big thing. It's the broadcast premiere of Titanic. We've already seen Titanic. I know how to get Titanic. Gently used programming. What a fucking scam. That never has a term just like screamed corporate weasel more than gently used programming. But that's what's happening. Networks have no other option because they have to fill three hours a night. They can't just show reruns of Captain America Civil War. They have to show stuff that will drive uh, advertiser engagement and audience engagement. And they've been losing this battle for years and they're going to continue to lose it. And I think on the part of the networks, they believe this change is temporary. They believe that this new normal will soon be the old normal. But I got to tell you, I look at this this primetime lineup at ABC or at NBC or at Fox. And I think, oh yeah, this is the future of broadcast television. This is what it's going to be. This is not just a doomsday emergency plan. This is not just I'm hitting the panic button and I'm buying Swamp Thing for $20 million. This is the new normal. As the streaming wars ramp up, as we continue to cut the cord, as Netflix and HBO and Amazon and Hulu start outbidding each other for original programming, the networks are just losing the market share. And they're not going to have large enough audiences to justify Chicago Fire, The Blacklist, Grey's Anatomy. It's no longer going to be a profitable endeavor. So you're going to see more reality television, more game shows, the type of programming that you only watch live. It's not like, you know, reruns of Press Your Luck are stockpiling on the DVR. You know what I mean? It's not like people are binge watching Supermarket Sweep. These are shows you watch live. You're going to continue to see sports, live football, live baseball, live NBA. You're going to continue to see that on the linear networks. You're going to continue to see news programming. You're going to continue to see specials like CBS uh, has has uh, 60 Minutes. NBC has Dateline. ABC has 2020. Like all of that stuff will remain. And then as far as, as scripted programming goes, these networks will operate as empty vessels that can be filled by the rejected programming of other networks. And look, the networks are never going to run out of gently used programming. You know what I mean? Like, we have never lived in a time of more content creation than now. There is more television on the airwaves and on streaming services than ever before, and that means there are more flops on networks and streaming services than ever before. Warner Brothers lost a lot of money on Swamp Thing. Uh, Spectrum, I'm sure, lost money on LA's finest. And so they're going to dump this shit off to the networks and networks are going to buy it up because they have uh, three hours to fill every night and they can't justify original programming. So we're just going to keep recycling the same content and hopefully these networks and these studios will recoup their losses at some point. But that is what networks will become. It's what they're already becoming. And I see this being similar to movie theaters, the final nail in the coffin. Networks will still be a thing. People of a certain age will watch them. 
uh, advertisers of a certain stripe will continue to buy commercial space. And, you know, we'll still watch football on Sundays. But the era of scripted dominance on broadcast television, the era of CSI or Law and Order or NCIS or, you know, even something like The West Wing or ER or other, you know, old prestige television shows, that's done. And it's been dying for a while. And again, we're pulling the plug here in 2020. Coronavirus accelerated that inevitable death. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, you know, I, most people I know just don't watch CBS anymore. Most people I know just don't watch NBC anymore. And, uh, you know, that that's, that's fine, I guess. It's the natural order of things. They all have streaming services, and I wish all of those networks the best of luck. Uh, but this is the future here, man. Gently used programming used to be on a streaming service. Netflix is trying to recoup some of its losses on, uh, you know, I mean, put it this way. You're seeing it this week on Netflix, Cobra Kai. If you look at the top 10 list, Cobra Kai is the number one most watched television show on Netflix this week. That was a YouTube original. That show aired on YouTube. What, what is that called? YouTube Red? I don't even YouTube Plus, whatever the hell that streaming service is called. Cobra Kai was a YouTube original. You had to pay five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, whatever it was to get access to the Karate Kid spinoff. Some people watched it. Some people enjoyed it. Most people didn't want to shell out the cash for a YouTube streaming service. Now it's on Netflix and now it's thriving. It's the most popular show in America this week. Um, you know, content is just going to continue to, to exchange hands. We're in a content war. We're in a bidding war. We call it the streaming wars. It's actually the content wars. It's all about stockpiling a library. It's all about getting people in the door with programming that might fit their specific niche, niche tastes. Um, so, you know, we're just going to see movies and TV shows that we loved and have watched a million times exchanging hands. It's going to be on HBO for a couple months. It's going to be on uh, Peacock for a couple months. Then it's going to move um, to syndication again. And, you know, there there is no such thing as like, the NBC must-see television lineup. The brands are changing. They're evolving. They're actually dissolving. Um, you know, the idea that I'm a Fox guy, I'm an ABC guy, I'm a CBS guy. It's all the same now. It's just content. And these networks are desperate to fill their airwaves with content. And uh, I just don't see a place for young Sheldon anymore. I just don't see a place for Chicago Fire anymore. Although my mother would beg to differ. So there you go. Another death uh, in the world of Hollywood. Traditional broadcast television. Um, anyway, I'll be enjoying Weakest Link, hosted by Jane Lynch. I must say, like, you know... <laughs> I know no one's watching network television anymore. As an avid game show fan, this is the most exciting pitch ABC has ever made to me. Just put on ABC. We're going to be showing game shows all the time. I'm in. I'm in, man. That's a, that's a great elevator pitch for Nico. Sign me up. Uh, all right. Is there anything else we, we want to discuss here? I, I don't really have much more. There was uh, an announcement 
this morning that David Benioff and D.B. Weiss um, are, uh, well, obviously, they, they've already announced their partnership with Netflix, but their first TV effort was just announced today. Um, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss are taking on another ambitious project. The duo will team with the terror infamy showrunner. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, that's a show on AMC. Yeah, that's right. It's a horror show on AMC. Uh, to adapt uh, a, a show called The Three-Body Problem based on the novel trilogy, The Three-Body Problem. Alexander Wu will serve as showrunner. Not sure what Benioff and Weiss are going to be involved in, but uh, Ryan Johnson, Roseman Pike, and Brad Pitt are listed among its executive producers um, based on, it looks like, uh, an Asian novel is that right uh yeah let's see this is based on yeah let's see the three body problem never a problem i've had (laughs) i've always had one body and uh it's been mediocre since day one (laughs) yeah it's a chinese science fiction novel written by lu uh, Xing, is that how you pronounce that? She, Lu Xi. And uh, yeah, it, it has been translated into English and is now being brought to Netflix by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. I have nothing to say about this. I just thought I'd mention it. Uh, other than that, are we done? I think we're done. I think that's it. I think that's going to do it for another episode of Cultured. Um, and it was a little short today, but uh, you know, leave them wanting more as they say in the biz. I do love you so very much, and I do want you to come back because we always have so much fun together. And I also do want you to join the Discord. You can find it on the website, toomanythoughtsmedia.com or tmt.media for short. Hit the link in the sidebar. Join our Discord. Get in on the action. We're going to talk Tenant later this week on the website. Adam Hall and I on the Movie Hall of Fame, we're going to talk all things Tenant. I saw Tenant last night, folks. I went to a movie theater. In fact, I went to a movie theater twice this weekend. And uh, I stand behind my prediction. I'm in the movie theater with maybe 15 other people. There are three seats separating everyone, uh, which is actually like the ultimate way to watch a movie. And it's kind of like what I've always wanted. All this elbow room is just glorious, but there's no way this is a sustainable business model. I stand behind my prediction I said two weeks ago. Stand behind it entirely. Still, we'll talk about the box office uh, implications of Tenant next week after it's been out in a semi-wide release here in the United States. Um, and That'll all be a cultured conversation. But if you want to dig in to the specifics of the plot uh, and... Uh, I don't know, some of the bizarre choices that Christopher Nolan made in that film. Check out Movie Hall of Fame this week. Adam Hall and I over there. And uh, I love you. And I do want you to come back next week. Because you know what happens then. You know the drill by now. You and I, we get together. And we get culture!